to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Amen. Morning, everyone. So good to be with you. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 10. Um, The key verses will be up on the screen. Let's just jump straight in and let me read those to you. Uh, Acts 10, starting verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized with water. And they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Amen. So, um, it's a privilege to be here and welcome and speak to my church family. And uh, I want to say thank you for the way that you've welcomed Bev and I. Um, People say uh, it's difficult having been pastors for 25 years and saying goodbye and coming to a church and people want to know what that's like. And then uh, I get to talk about you and say, you've just been so kind, so kind to us, Uh, warm and friendly and welcoming and loving. Thank you for making us feel at home. Um, And we've received not only your kindness and your love and your hospitality, we've also received your forgiveness, which has been amazing. Um, Merv and Wendy Thomas, some of you will know, um, live at the end of our road. Um, And Merv and Wendy have been praying against the building of the house that we live in. Um, and, but as, a, as, as an act of reconciliation and unity, the Holy Spirit brought them. They now meet in that house with us every week. Uh, so thank you, Merv and Wendy, for your forgiveness. Bless you. Uh, we're in a series on Acts, understanding what it is to be the church from the birth of the church that we see in Acts. Uh, Acts 10 was assigned to me just a few weeks ago before the events in Israel, being mindful of Black History Month. Uh, And things on race have rather escalated, haven't they, the last few weeks. Um, Paul in Romans 2, verse 11, repeats something that is said in Acts 10 that we just heard by Peter. God shows no favoritism. He is not partial to anybody. Um, And yet here we are, 7th of October. I was going to say that hell opened over and under Israel, but hell has been open um, over many places in our world uh, since human beings have ever been part of it. It's just that it was writ large on social media and our news for once. And The demonic, the ferment, the calls for genocide, revenge, claiming things in the name of God and for other people. So, do you feel it? Have you felt it these last two weeks? Not just the news, but the demonic ferment that is at work in our world. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
Ephesians 2 verse 2 tells us that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And at times we experience that individually, but we are in the grip of a global experience of Satan's work. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. And there are two demonic stories that are at work that seem to be coming together. One of them is a religious one that through most of history, people could never conceive of talking about history without reference to God. And many people still do. To talk about life is to immediately talk about God. Their life is porous and open to the spiritual. It's the secular in the Western world that has become something that's called buffered, closed off. I let God in when I need him. And that's being broken down. We could all do with being a bit more porous, probably. Uh, But we probably feel the invasion. Do you feel the porousness, the invasion of the animosity and the rancor and the everything that goes with that? And this is not going away, by the way. This polarization, identity politics, binary solutions, silence, anger, violence are not going away. And yet Jesus promised us that for moments such as this, moments such as we see in Acts 10 this morning, he said that I won't leave you as orphans and I'll come to you. How many of you felt despair and frustration these last few weeks? And Jesus would say, maybe we could just say that this morning, I've not left you as orphans. At moments like this, I will come to you. And this is what we're going to see in Acts 10. This Jesus who promised a different way of life. This is the Jesus who declared, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, forgive. Love your neighbor as yourself. The person who has hurt you and wronged you the most, give your life for them. This Jesus is here and he's at hand and he's kingdom. And we see this in Acts 10. Um, By the way, in our uh, collective, the week after the events, uh, the week, uh, just a few days after October the 7th, uh, we were meeting and we were reflecting on, I think Pete had preached on conversion and just had people in our group telling their stories of conversion. And the way that Jesus had literally sought hunted down, pursued, and taken hold of us. Some of us in our group had grown up in the church. Others of us had been seized out of impossible situations. That Jesus is alive. Wasn't it great, that last song? Can you feel it at the end of that song? We're declaring the truths of Christ. He is risen. He is here. And this is what we're going to see in Acts 10. So what I want to do is unpack Acts 10 with you this morning and do uh, two things. The first one is something small and short, and it's the job description of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What can we learn from Acts 10 in particular about a principal primary concern that the Holy Spirit is absolutely and utterly obsessed with, that if we align ourselves around that, he will rush to us and do more than we could ever imagine. And what we're going to do is then unpack that with five things. Um, And the five things I'm going to share with you are about recalling, recapitulating, receiving, remembering, and reviving. So, Acts 10. Just before we go back to Acts 10, uh, we'll have some verses up here from John. Uh, Let me read these to you. This is from 
what's called the farewell discourse, um, uh, John 14 through to John 17. Uh, John 17 is the longest prayer of Jesus in Scripture. Um, And this is Jesus after the Last Supper talking to the disciples and explaining what's about to happen and why he is going to go. John 14, if you love me and keep my commands, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And then verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater. I've told you now so that when this happens, you will believe I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. By the way, I could stop there. The ruler of the kingdom of the air has come at this moment in time, and Jesus would say, he has come, but so that the world would learn something different. That I love the Father, and I am here. John 15, Jesus can't help himself, keeps talking about the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good I'm going away, because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a while, you will see me. Um, I'd suggest that to understand Acts 10, Acts 2, we need to read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is obsessed with the Holy Spirit at this point. Jesus has been obsessed with talking about the Father through his ministry. When we get to Acts 2 and in order to understand Acts 10, we see how the Spirit is obsessed, not with himself, but with Jesus. Jesus is obsessed with the Father and the Spirit. The Father is obsessed with the Spirit and the Son. And the Spirit is absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ. And he wants to do one thing. The Holy Spirit. He's many things in Scripture, but there's one thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to bring Jesus. He wants to bring Jesus to us. He wants to make Jesus incarnate, alive, risen, and doing all the things that Jesus did. It's why Jesus tells us, it's better that I go, because then I'm going to come back by the Spirit, and I'm going to do with everybody who wants to everything I have just done with you, as he told the disciples. So Acts 2, and then we get Acts 10. The Spirit is manifest, and we see Jesus. Now, if I said to you, where is the church? What is the church? That's a huge topic itself. The church is the body of Christ. Maybe we'd understand that if we've been Christians a while. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ, that Christ is manifest principally through his 
people. And the church exists between two things. I'm going to use a few words this morning that will sound a bit theological, but I'll explain them. The church exists between the ascension of Christ and the parousia. The ascension is when Christ disappears at the beginning of Acts. And the parousia is when Christ returns. And the church lives between those two times. The church exists between, it didn't exist before Christ returned, ascended to the Father, and the church will cease to exist when Christ returns. And we live between that time and that place. And the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is he comes into our world, breathed out by Christ, and says, I am going to retell and rebirth and incarnate the risen Christ until he returns again. That's where the church exists in time and space. Sometimes in a building, sometimes in a coffee shop, sometimes in someone's collective, sometimes... Was it Sue was saying, bumping into someone in a supermarket? The Holy Spirit will go anywhere and everywhere to bring Jesus. So, five things to unpack with you. Is that okay? That makes sense? So we're going to take this idea. Acts 10, the Spirit is manifest to bring Jesus into a moment between Jews and Gentiles that is so similar to this moment that we live in now. Five things. Let's begin. Recalling. Uh, Acts 2 verse 10. Let's go back to Acts 2 and verse 10. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but Peter is in both these stories, isn't he? And Peter does something in both these stories. What does Peter do both times? He preaches. What does he preach about? He preaches about Jesus. And what does he tell us about Jesus? He gives us a summary of who Jesus is. His life, his death, his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit turns up. The Holy Spirit turns up. So the first thing um, we can learn from Acts 2 and verse 10 is that there is something that theologians called anamnesis. Does that word sound familiar? Anamnesis? It means to recall. It's uh, where we also get the word that we would use day to day, or not regularly, but often have heard and used, um, amnesia. If I said I was suffering from amnesia, what would that be? Forgetfulness. Teenage children suffer from it on a regular (laughs) basis. Um, Mine are all grown up now, but um, there we go. So anamnesis is, instead of amnesia where we've forgotten something, anamnesis is actually something that's taken place through uh, many types of church in history, in communion or the Eucharist. And the idea is it means to recall, to bring back to mind something we have forgotten or something that we don't know and need to remember. So one of the things of our worship and one of the things that Peter doing is an act of anamnesis. Um, have you noticed how social media, the news... Some people that we know in our lives, if we spend too much time listening to them and being with them, we forget our true story, don't we? And you come away. Has anyone fallen down the hole of social media? And you feel blah. And something else has got inside into our feelings and emotions and the measure of what life is. 
So unless we gather regularly to worship, unless we gather regularly in, for instance, collectives, and tell our stories, and map our lives, and have an act of anamnesis, and remembering what life really is, and that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Other stories will take hold of us and possess us. Now, where I've moved, I've already told you, I've got some nice neighbours at the end of my road, Merv and Wendy, also have some other neighbours, and I've been getting to know them. And it's fascinating, you know, everybody wants to know where you lived before, why you moved there, the social discourse that's acceptable with neighbours. But there's also one conversation that you're also allowed to have with your neighbours on a new build estate. What work have you had done and how much did you pay for it? <laughs> it's completely acceptable to talk to a complete stranger and go, how much did that cost? In a way that you'd never do, maybe about other things. And I have one neighbour, he's lovely. Um, and every single time I meet with him, the dominant story in his life is not just how much something costs, but how much he paid so much less than I did. <laughs> and sometimes I've thought, oh man, I'm not very good at this, uh, engaging builders and contractors. But stories, stories have a hold of us. And by the way, if you were to reflect on the last few weeks of wishing things were different, wanting the world to be different, sometimes that's because the gospel story is alive in you and bumping into it. And other times, it's a moment to reveal the other stories that we are living by. And one of them is, it's part of our Western secular culture. If you've been in a Western secular culture for a long time, I should be able to live my own life and mind my own business and be left alone. And I just want things to go back to normal. And that is a lie from the pit of hell and Satan himself. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we need to recall the true gospel story. Uh, second one, recapitulate. Um, sorry, I should be able to look at a screen. How am I doing? Great. Recapitulation. Satan is defeated. It's not just enough to recall Jesus' story of reality. We are invited to retell it and relive it and for it to become our story. And remember how I've shared with you that Jesus is incarnate. He's made alive through his church, his body between the ascension and the parousia. Uh, there was someone called Irenaeus in the second century who was Greek, a um, Greek bishop. And he uh, coined this uh, theological understanding of who Jesus is as a recapitulation. That Jesus is the second Adam. Some of you will have noticed that if you've read through scripture. Christ is called the second Adam. And that Jesus is fully human in a way that human beings were meant to be, but have not been because of the fall. And that Jesus walks by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't sin, and he's connected to the Father, and he pours himself out, and he does it in the way that human beings were meant to do, and he defeats death itself and Satan himself. But then by the Spirit, he comes back so that you and I can have a taste of what it is to live like that. That's the recapitulation. It's not enough to know the story. We're invited to be the story, experience the story, and live the story. We are called and invited to relive the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are the mood, music, and atmosphere. Um, I was going to say, I get myself in dangerous ground here. What, you know, what's the atmosphere like when you walk into the room? My wife over the years would have said, sometimes I would carry impatience with me. 
I could just walk in a room and make it full of impatience just by being there. It's taken me a long time to learn to be more patient. What do you carry with you? What story is manifest in you and through you, often without words? Um, You know in movies, uh, characters have theme tunes, don't they? And they have the music that plays in the background, and you know the character is coming or is there because they replay the music, yeah? So let's try this. If I went bum, 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 we'll stop there. Da, da, no. Who's that? Darth Vader. Did you know it's almost impossible to name a piece of music by one note? Interestingly enough, uh, Netflix, Apple TV, and the others, they have a sound which is not really one note, but they combine a polyphony of things so that when you hear it, a bong, you know what it belongs to. But it's very hard with a pure note, one note, to know what a piece of music is. But there is a piece of music, if you're old enough, from a movie that only has two notes. Name this movie. I didn't even need to do it, did I? Two notes. How many people watched that as a teenager if you're old enough and then were terrified? I remember going swimming at 17. Went to Cyprus, went out at 4 a.m. because I couldn't sleep and watched the sunrise. I was swimming in this crystal clear blue water and then all I could hear was... I've never swum so fast for the sure in all my life. What are we recapitulating? What story are we retelling? Because in the recapitulation and the story of Jesus, Romans 20, verse 11, let's read this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Satan is defeated. The kingdom is restored. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so Christ will be made alive, Romans 5. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous, Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those for who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that we might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, because he has suffered what he was when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted." This Jesus, we are called to, re- to know his story, but we are called to relive his story. Third thing, we are c- called to receive his story. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, let me read this, verse 23 to 26. This is Paul, about communion and the Eucharist. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Recalling, recapitulating, and now receiving. Um, the Greek word here that Paul uses, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, is actually the same word in the Greek language here. Um, and it can be a, just distilled down to one word, paradosis. Um, and it can mean tradition. It can, it can mean to receive and give away. A literal translation of 1 Corinthians 11 here would be this. Paul is saying, I handed on the handed on things. What I received from the Lord, I gave to you. I handed on the hand. It wasn't just handed to me. It was handed from someone else and was handed from someone else. And who was it handed from originally? Jesus. Um, we are invited to receive from Christ himself as we receive from others who received from others who received from Christ. Um, I can uh, remember when I was, uh, a few years ago, I was in Seoul in Korea and got to hear from a Korean ministry. He was 105 and he literally looked like Yoda. <laughs> I'm serious. And he fell asleep. In Every time he was talking, he would say something profound and fall asleep. Then there was a guy with him who he called Young Man, who was 82. <laughs> and, he, and this guy would do the translation into English for us. And uh, he would say something, fall asleep, the young man would translate, then he would wake up and he had a little stick. And he was like this, and he literally was this big. And he would like, and fall asleep. I thought, well, if I was 105, I think I'd fall asleep every few minutes. Amazing man. And uh, at the end of the time where he'd been speaking, um, he stepped out into the hotel lobby. I hadn't got to talk to him one-to-one. -one. Uh, it was an event I'd arranged. Um, and suddenly... Um, Yoda walked up to me uh, with the young man and stopped. And the young man said, and explained to him who I was, this is Dr. Jason Clark, he arranged the event you've spoken at. And he suddenly, I will never forget when he went like this, looked up at me like this. And he reached out his hand. This is a man who had been uh, in a Japanese uh, prison camp and tortured for several years and seen the most horrific things in life and he reached out his hand and I didn't need to know what he prayed for me but as he prayed for me my knees literally buckled it's one moment in prayer where I felt like the Holy Spirit was like something from the matrix and just went Woof. and I received something that that man had received. It only takes 19 of him to see Jesus at the end of the line. But Jesus is not at the end of the line. Jesus is walking along the line, handing on more and more things so that we receive them. So when you're in a collective and someone tells the story and someone says, would you like prayer? And you lay hands on them, we are participating in paradosis. The handing on of the handed on things as they become real and manifest in our lives. That was good, wasn't it? When I became a Christian, uh, I was turning 17. I was at a wonderful, wonderful Baptist church. I'd never been to church apart from once when I was in the Cub Scouts. I believed everything the pastor said on a Sunday until I realized that you didn't have to do that. Um, <laughs> you should still do everything that the pastor tells you on a Sunday. And he said, you need to be in a small group. 
And I thought the whole church would be in a small group. So I went along because that's what I thought everybody did. Anyway, I'm glad I did. I still remember at 17 walking through the door, sitting in a room with a bunch of complete weird people. I'd never been, I'd literally just been to church. And we sat around and someone had a word of knowledge. And I thought, this is weird. Then they shared that word of knowledge. I thought, how do they know that about me? And then they said, is that you? Put your hand up. I was like, no freaking way I'm putting my hand up. I've got no idea what's going to happen with these nut jobs. But my heart was racing. And the Holy Spirit was upon me. And I remember the thought at 17 thinking, I could ignore this and play safe. Or I could say yes and see what happens. That's why I went. Then they did this weird thing. Only Christians can do this, like ninja. They got their chairs up without getting their bums off them <laughs> and in formation swooshed around me. And then I was surrounded with no way out. And then they laid hands on me. First time anyone had ever laid hands on me, apart from my parents who used to beat me in a rugby match where that was allowed. And I've been relatively unsuccessful as a teenager with women. (laughs) And I still remember the moment, as if it was yesterday, where I flinched when a complete stranger touched me. And then someone said these words, Jason, God has a plan to bless you and prosper you and not harm you. Jeremiah 29, first time I'd ever heard it. First time I'd ever heard it, I thought, this is good. Where's that? And then I realized I could go and look it up later. It was in the Bible. I received something that was handed on to me. Remembering Luke 22, verse 19 to 20. Sorry, I'm a little lost in my notes. Where did I get to in my notes? We've done... Recalling, recapitulating, receiving from 1 Corinthians. Now, yeah, oh, remembering, epiclesis, another word for you. <laughs> See, some of you are going to go, what, what happened to you on Sunday? Oh, I went to church. What happened to you? Oh, the epiclesis. And you'll go, what was the epiclesis? You can tell people, the epiclesis. Any of you heard the word epiclesis? Some of you may have. Um, in uh, Luke 22, Verses 19 to 20, we see Jesus using uh, this. He took bread, gave thanks, and Jesus said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. Um, Epiclesis is a a Greek word, and uh, it's a word that the church stole borrowed. It never used it. Sometimes they took words from Jewish history and Jewish use. Other times they made up words. This time they took a word, the epiclesis. Epiclesis meant surname, and it was also a term for an invocation or a calling upon. And people would do an epiclesis to call on the gods to appear. So the church said, we're having some of that, and we're going to reuse it. And we're going to have the epiclesis. And the epiclesis meant this. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we call on you. Come. 
By the way, Quakers don't have an epiclesis in communion. It's often used still to... If you go to a high Anglican church or a Catholic church, there'll be a moment of the epiclesis where the Holy Spirit is called upon over the bread and the wine to say, come, Holy Spirit, bring Jesus to us. Quakers don't have communion because they believe that the Holy Spirit makes every meal a communion and that all of life is a communion. In the Vineyard Church, our founder... See, I still say, ah, don't I? The founder of Vineyard Churches, John Wimber, was a Quaker. And lots of people in the vineyard don't know that's why John Wimber would say, come Holy Spirit. The epiclesis. Come Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit comes to remember us. The word anamnesis, to remember, means actually coming to recall, but it means a lot more than recalling. And if you take away one thing from today, this is the really good stuff right now. Remember is a pretty weak word in English, isn't it? But originally it was a very strong word. It meant the opposite of being dismembered. There's been a lot of dismemberment on our social media. Literally live streamed, recorded. As human beings have their bodies torn apart. As they have done in history where people want to lay claim to their belief in God or lack of belief in God by doing things to other people's bodies, literally dismembering them to say we have power and we have authority over you and we will show you how we do by literally dismembering you. And there is something in communion, in worship for Christians, in acts when the spirit turns up that is the anamnesis that is to be remembered, joined to. Do you know the, they were warned in the early church to be careful when they took communion? Do you know they were warned? Because some people have died and fallen asleep. When you take the bread and wine next time and have communion, think on this. When we take the bread and wine, we are saying, Lord Jesus, would you please dismember me, whatever it takes. Will you cut me off from every root, every demonic thing, every hurt, every pain, every religion, every piece of politics that would lay claim to my identity, my heart and soul and mind, and would you sever me from it? And would you graft me into you and remember me? Jesus says, remember me. Here's one of the ways that communion works, a little conceptually, um, maybe mind-boggling but profound. As we drink and eat Christ, he consumes us. Isn't that strange? As everything else in the world, we watch we place ourselves in, consumes us and takes our attention. Christ offers us something. He says, eat and drink from me and something amazing will happen. By the Holy Spirit, I will eat and drink you and I will manifest my life in you. Isn't that awesome? Um, I got, uh, I'm a connoisseur of therapists. And it's great because I now oversee the training of hundreds of them. Um, had... Uh, CBT, DBT therapy. I've even had existential therapy. That's a weird one, by the way. Um, and EMDR therapy. They've all been wonderful and helpful. But I remember one time talking to my therapist and she said, it seems really important to you that you have a Christian therapist. And I said, yes, it is. I said, but not like I want a Christian mechanic. I'm not trying to keep my money in the church family. 
Okay? I don't like I want a Christian mechanic or a Christian builder. I want a Christian therapist. No. I said, because I need someone, as I talk about the most difficult and painful things in my life, to understand something. That I am trying to become like somebody else. So that Galatians 2.20 would be true in my life. That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I said to the therapist, can you handle that? She said, I think so. (laughs) Lastly, revival and renewal. We're back at Acts 2. Acts 2. Oh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were in one place. Suddenly there was a blowing and a violent wind and the the tongues of fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see Acts 10. Peter is speaking these words. The Holy Spirit came and all who heard the message... Speaking in tongues, the Spirit is poured out. Where do I land this to finish? Brothers and sisters, or if you're not a brother and sister, come and become one. Will we give up our ways of being buffered? Will we give up our ways of being porous to the world and held captive by it? And will we be displaced into the eschaton to step between this world and the next and become a follower of Jesus Christ? On October the 6th, 1986, when I was turning 17 and I'd gone to church for the first time, instead of going home to a mother who had taken to bed in depression, a one-year-old brother I was looking after, a father who had abandoned us and turned out to become bigamously married and had a whole other family, and I had another brother being arrested by the police all the time, and I had started to do the very thing I dreaded because the rest of my family did it. I was drinking to cope. And I was in this church service, and I felt the presence of God, but didn't know what it was. And somebody told me about Jesus from the front, like here. And I couldn't go home. And they cleared away all the chairs. And I was the last person left. And the youth pastor, still my, I still call him my youth pastor, came and sat with me. He said, do you know what a Christian is? I said, no. He said, would you like to? I said, yes. He couldn't find the little booklet that was supposed to have the official version of what a Christian is. <laughs> but I believe that was something the Holy Spirit set him up for. Because he said these words to me, I wrote them down in a journal back then and I still remember them. He said, I guess I'll have to explain it in my own words. And like Peter, he told me who Jesus was. And he said, Jason, if you become a Christian, you will have something to live for, something to die for, meaning, adventure and purpose every day of your life. Do you want to go away and think about that? And I thought about the condition of my life. And I thought, I will swap what I have for this right now. And every word he told me was true. And since then, I've had to go through alcoholism. Sorry, I haven't been an alcoholic. Could you scrub that from the recording? (laughs) I have been a workaholic. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble now. So I went the route of being a workaholic, not an alcoholic. Both my parents later in life took their own lives six months apart from one another and wrote to me saying how they hated me and despised me. I've had a disabled special needs daughter and nearly lost my sanity suing my local authority. And, And at times, I have come this close to losing 
who I was. But Jesus would never give up on me. And I can tell you that from 17 to today, he has brought his presence and his power and his spirit and freedom and life. And he is here. And this is the last thing. Acts 10. Two groups of people who never should have been in the same room together. A Jew and a Gentile. The Holy Spirit comes and brings Jesus to them. And they begin the kingdom adventure that is available to you and I today. Let's stand. Oh, oh dear. Sorry? What did you say? It was all right. Good. <laughs> Let's pray. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. He's here. And like Peter, and like my youth pastor, I want to hand on the handed on things today and tell you this, that there is one God, Father of heaven and earth, and he has come in his son Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he lived and died and was crucified and rose from the dead, and he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he will come back one day in judgment. But meanwhile, he is here by the Holy Spirit, present to us to forgive sins, to deliver us and restore us and free us. So we say, come Holy Spirit. So that's it. Let's just let the Holy Spirit come. Let him come and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I know we're way over time, but we're just going to wait. Let the presence of God come. I'm going to name some things. Um, Because I think I have some things to give away. They were handed on to me. Um, uh, People here with anxiety and depression who are struggling with that, it's okay. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up just in this moment if you want to and pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. If you're struggling with anxiety and depression, there you go, bless you. Holy Spirit, I bless these people. Release your spirit to them. Some of us have got things from the past that haunt us and hold on to us. Some of you, you don't even know what to name. But as I've been talking today, you feel something has hold of you. But today, heaven has opened over you. And you want this, Jesus. You want the Holy Spirit to bring Christ to you. Again, if you just put your hand up, it's just something to do to reach out to the Lord and pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.